1: This is two weeks in a row, and we gave you a bonus.
0: A bonus, and if you didn't listen to the bonus, you're not going to notice what we changed in this talk from our first time we gave this talk.
1: You know, I love the bonus because it's not quite as like, I need to take notes.
0: It's not about addiction.
1: But it's actually, it's related, but it actually is a good topic. It's an important topic if you want to stay up to date with everything medicine, which we all have to do anyway.
0: And when you're an older adult like me, you know, it's a timely thing to talk about since I turned 60 this year.
1: Timely. That's an interesting concept. So
0: let's talk a little bit about opioids and some of the issues.
1: This is episode number 74, medical diagnoses that don't play well with opioids. So I'm going to start so you can (laughs) advance to age. My Um, advanced age. So, you know, last week we talked about different licit and illicit drugs and substances that, when combined with opioids, don't go well and can create a lot of um, troubles or problems. And so this week we're going to kind of talk more about the medical diagnoses rather than the medications. Yes. So the first thing we're going to talk about is just the mental health diagnoses. And this is that gray zone. Kurt actually thought this was in last week's, but it's that whole short-term memory (laughs) thing of being an older person that sometimes happens, and he forgot that... We didn't talk about this.
0: God, my my socks are different colors. <laughs> Never mind. No,
1: but that's actually normal. That <laughs> makes you relevant. Oh,
0: it changed, like the mullet. Did you
1: know you can go to the store and like buy socks on purpose that are all non-matching?
0: You're clearly going to different stores than me.
1: Oh, I'm totally going to 579 and getting you some Christmas socks that don't match. Anyway, so mental health, you know, this is something. We're not going to go way into mental health with opioids because there is a whole world, but the biggest one is depression. Because people who have the diagnosis of med- uh, go ahead major depressive disorder, I was forgetting what the word the letter M stood for. Major depressive disorder do have an increased risk of death, especially when their opioids are at higher doses. This has been studied over and over and over. The problem is is when they have overdoses. People with depression are much more likely to have these overdoses. Um, we don't always know. Why? Was it because the medication dose was too high, or was it because it was...
0: So accidental, or, or was it an intentional, intentional
1: um, suicide attempt? So,
0: Yeah. So yes, people with depression placed on opioids, a little bit higher risk group. So we're going to take a turn, a sharp turn here. And we're going to talk about some of the, the diagnoses that uh, sometimes don't mix well with the opioids. And it's a little bit weird right off because we're going to talk about age and opioids. And age isn't really a diagnosis, although it's in a lot of subdiagnoses in ICD-10. We actually just looked that, all that up. Um, and actually, right. they use the word elderly, which we're not going to use if you listen to our previous podcast. Bonus. Our bonus podcast. So we're going to talk about people of advanced age or older adults. Uh, no, not and adv- the Older the question adults is, are older people. Or older people. And we just don't know where that line is it's fifty five, sixty, sixty five somewhere in that range, and I think it's more like sixty five.
1: Oh, so, you've dropped it. It was seventy or seventy five or eighty when we gave this talk time. If I time. was
0: voting, I'd say seventy. but so so really, we're we're looking at that group and we're trying to decide, you know, is this a patient that I want to put on opioids, who somebody that has chronic pain or even an acute pain? are we going to use it? And just remember, Probably the biggest thing as patients age is really that risk of fall. Falls are big.
1: I think, isn't it the morbidity or mortality? If you fall within six months of being an older person, your risk of death and morbidity is super high within that first year.
0: Yeah, well, especially if you break your hip.
1: Well, right, that's what I meant. Fall, have a hip fracture. Risk of dying in the
0: first year is like 50%. It's like dangerous. Um, and actually, this your would be your biggest a good place for, yeah. But really, the biggest risk <laughs> is right away. And actually, it's that first two weeks that you're on, on opioids when they've been initiated. Your risk of falling is high. It's like four and a half times uh, the person not on opioids. So just understand sometimes those first doses, especially in patients that are naive. Uh, or if you increase their opioids, it's always going to increase their risk.
1: Well, and I, you know, when we were giving this talk, the thing that really struck my mind while we were talking was there's a lot of orthopedic surgeries that happen in the age group that we're speaking of replacements of joints. And I've never had one. You've never had one. Um, Not but what you've seen is, is this is obviously a majorly painful surgery. I mean, I've watched them be done and clearly painful and, they're in a hospital. They're being monitored after the surgery. Uh, you know, they have PT which decides if they can go home and if they can go home and they're on opioids where they've been in a bed in the hospital with some therapies. How scary is that when you think about this? Yeah. Four and a half times in that first 2 weeks. They're going home in that first 2 weeks.
0: And who's helping them? Their 75-year-old wife. And they both fall.
1: Yeah. So, but why? Why does um having a lot of birthdays really impact this is there's just natural physiological changes that happen i mean every cell in our body gets older and you know your heart's had a lot of birthdays your everything has you know advanced and so you have just decreased distribution of volume so you just don't have the same spacing of water you don't have the same muscle mass you so things shift around a lot
0: yeah and unfortunately well that old liver and the and the kidneys well they don't quite work quite as well as they used to and so you're you know, and I think really especially with the opiates, a lot of time the renal excretion can be pretty much compromised. And and in fact, you know, sometimes you'll get people on dialysis who are on you know, who are on chronic pain meds. I've seen that a few times over the years. But you know, as well, if your liver is not metabolizing things at a normal rate can pile up on you. And so that's a that's a big risk.
1: Right. So there's just a lot of things. Electrolytes, yeah. cardiac output, lung capacity cerebral blood flow, all the things. Bad. So, they Bad can nutrition. all be impacted.
0: And just remember too, this is often a group that has pretty significant polypharmacy. So, it may not even be related to their physiology as much as other stuff that they're they're taking. And some of those things you don't know they're taking.
1: Right, and as we talked about last week with alcohol mixed with opioids, the metabolism in the liver and you know, if we're talking about polypharmacy impacting the liver. So it's going to be impacting the opioids as well. And speaking of alcohol.
0: Yeah. I mean, when you, when you mix alcohol, of course, and the, and chronic opioids, you know, never discount the the effect that that can have. And unfortunately, as addiction people, we're, we see a fair amount of, uh, you know, alcohol intake in patients over the age of 60. Uh, Often they're drinking way more than we think. And a lot of times we don't think to ask them. So it's really important that, that, any patient, whether they're on opioids or not, have that discussion and figure out, you know, are they are they drinking quite a bit? Because a lot of studies show that you get pretty significant changes in the respiratory uh, depression. You know, they get a lot of respiratory depression and apnea that worsens with age without the alcohol. So, um, again, just normal physiology, we see that.
1: Right. So... With that, we're going to switch to just pulmonary diagnoses. So, in anybody across the board, this is not age related, it's just anybody with a pulmonary lung diagnosis. So, COPD is humongous. And when you look at patients with COPD, half of them are on opioids for chronic pain, which <laughs> that's amazing.
0: Yeah. I, and you know why? I mean, because typically by the time that you've developed COPD, you are in an older age bracket. Yeah, typically.
1: or, you know, and your lung function isn't as good, and when your lung function's not as good and you throw on a respiratory depressant like opioids, that's not going to go well. If you're more breathless, if you have more pain with breathing or in general, yeah. it's kind of this spiral.
0: And there have been a lot of studies uh, that have shown that, you know, opioids are typically associated with more adverse outcomes. Um, and so there's really... You know, there's there's been a real push, of course, not to be prescribing these for patients, especially with just musculoskeletal pain, that in fact, over a period of months, uh, really, they probably don't get relief. So in this particular group with COPD, that combination probably is not warranted.
1: Correct. Using other alternatives. So there was a study done. um, This is, it's interesting because it was out of the European Respiratory Journal in 2016, but it was a study in Canada.
0: Everybody's using Canada for their studies.
1: I don't know why. But anyway, they found that in, as of 2016, when this was published, so uh, COPD affected 4 to 10% of the Canadian population. Depending on the severity of their COPD diagnosis, the five-year mortality rate just having the diagnosis of COPD was 40 to 70%.
0: That's without opioids.
1: Without opioids.
0: But... If you got started on opioids, the two-year mortality with severe COPD was 50% just in two years. That's so crazy. So you basically met that same group two and a half, or excuse me, three years early. So, yeah. so it was pretty clear that patients who were started on opioids had much worse outcomes. I mean, long-term. you're
1: decreasing their life expectancy like by Significantly, half. Significantly, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, COPD in general, but COPD patients with opioids have higher ER visits. This is all shown in the study, in multiple studies. They have more hospitalizations. They have more use of antibiotics and steroids, and we're going to get to that and and why coming up here when we talk about the immunology of opioids, but... Just know that there's a lot more comorbid issues and, you know, people who get admitted to hospitals can catch other illnesses in the hospital. So it's also not a good situation yeah. getting admitted.
0: And one of the things that came out of this is that they also noticed that there was some evidence that the dose might not be an issue, that no matter what dose you might have that that same outcome, that it wasn't completely dose-related. <clears throat> and I think that this really brings up one of those things we chat about every once in a while with, with our legacy patients.
1: You know, patients who've been on medications, on opioids, they were started on them for whatever reason. They've yeah. been on the same dose for 20 years. They're not having any complications. They're not trying to get more. They're not using other drugs. So is it worth just leaving them on it, or is it worth actually tapering them off? So that's that's kind of the thought about the, def- the term legacy patient.
0: Yeah, and I think that especially in patients with COPD, I guess my opinion is probably the same in other people, is that the reality is you can't have an accidental overdose And you can't die of the complications of opioids if you have COPD if your opioids are tapered down into a safer range if not stopped. Right. Well,
1: plus we just talked about having more birthdays also changes things. So legacy patients do get older.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so we're always in favor of less is better.
1: Well, if you don't need it, it's kind of like don't order a lab test if you're not going to do anything with it. Okay, true. anyway, we digress. So also in the respiratory, European Respiratory Journal of the same year in 2016, they evaluated the risk of adverse outcomes with people who got their incident opioid use. So their first dose, like their first prescription of opioids when they have COPD, they looked at patients greater than 65 years old, and they looked at any respiratory outcomes within 30 days of starting that prescription, Pretty yeah, big study.
0: It was 130,000 people who had COPD and were given opioids. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about this study. Um, <clears throat> but this is interesting because previous studies actually shown that that a high-dose opioid uh, was clearly associated with all-cause mortality. We know that. Again, that's the whole thing with legacy patients. They have, they have worse all-cause mortality. So this study was actually the first one that linked the opioid use and respiratory-related morbidity and mortality, regardless of their dose.
1: Yep. So this, it didn't matter what dose opioids. Kind of like that last study, but this study also showed that the mortality issues were in all groups, re- regardless of the severity of their COPD. So the dose of the opioids didn't matter. The severity of the COP didn't COPD didn't matter.
0: Don't forget the D, COPD. The COPD. Right.
1: The COPD. So ultimately. It's all something to be aware of.
0: Yeah, and that's a nice segue—the COPD and breathing into not breathing when you're sleeping. Actually, it's not a segue at all. But (laughs) uh, we're gonna move. You just go. (laughs) We're gonna we're gonna move into talking to something slightly related, which is uh, sleep apnea. And sleep apnea is a group of patients that on opioids, I think, always draw our attention.
1: This and this was something we learned. With our own patients who we were treating for opioid use disorder, you know, thin, young people who don't look like your typical obstructive sleep apnea, but we're having all these sleeping disturbances and all these things, even when they were not using yeah, daytime their illicit, drowsiness. all the things. And so we get a sleep study and then all of a sudden we're finding central sleep apnea. So we did a bunch of research and actually central sleep apnea, which is even more complicated than obstructive sleep apnea <sighs> Is actually increased in patients who use opioids long term. Twenty four percent increase in central sleep apnea in long term opioid users.
0: Yeah, and that was, uh, you know, and that was really not taking into effect some of the the ones that we worry about most, which is really methadone, uh, especially at high dosing. Those patients, uh, especially the ones over two hundred morphine equivalents, which doesn't take much methadone to reach that. Uh, and also kind of combined with the benzodiazepines. This is a very high-risk group. And I I think it's important to remember, too, that methadone uh, as a whole is disproportionately related to overdose death or death. So, you know, compared to how many prescriptions are actually prescribed, there's way more overdose deaths.
1: And it's important to realize that, you know, central sleep apnea isn't super common in general. So having a 24% increase, eh, I think this is hugely underdiagnosed because the patients don't necessarily look obstructive because they're not that diagnosis, but it is probably underdiagnosed. But sleep apnea is this two-edged sword. So central sleep apnea caused by opioids, whether they're illicit or illicit, but then people who have baseline sleep apnea who are also prescribed opioids can have increased complications because of the opioids. No good. So it's the chicken-egg phenomenon. It
0: is. And, and really, I think one other kind of thought is that, you know, patients that have any sleep disordered breathing, and, and that includes obstructive and central sleep apnea, just in general, people with disordered sleep and breathing have increased incidence of arrhythmias and myocardial ischemia and infarction, and sadly, sudden death. So, again, sleep disordered breathing, something to think about, especially in our patients that we have with opioid use disorder and anybody on chronic long-term meds.
1: Well, and, um, you know, it's always interesting in society when there's an overdose or something, they always find a famous person who also had that issue, and, you know, Carrie Fisher, so Princess Leia, sleep apnea, opioids. Now, some of her issues, she's on an airplane, but that was kind of what they they tied it to was that she had this underlying sleep apnea issue.
0: I can't remember if she had a little something to drink too but I don't know but the combo's bad so let's move to a different organ jeez kidneys kidneys
1: dang kidneys (laughs) yeah I don't love kidneys
0: oh kidneys I I'm glad I'm not a nephrologist too much to think about they're way too smart they are
1: I hope Dr. Quartin is listening to this yeah so so chronic (laughs) kidney disease
0: of course affects how opioids uh kind of act in your body So, you know, a lot of the opioids are renally excreted.
1: And so if your kidneys aren't working, they don't get excreted as well, so then they can build up and cause, you know, more toxicity. And
0: It's about as simple as it can get.
1: There you go. So there are ones that are better to use, I guess, if you're going to have to use an opioid in people who have kidney issues. Um, Tramadol, if needed, methadone is actually, has the least issues because it metabolizes completely in the liver. Um, but again, we already talked about all the other complications of methadone, so I don't know if I'm giving methadone to a person who's on dialysis because yeah. they're already at risk of badness. So,
0: and I think that you know morphine being so commonly used, really when you start to get around a creatinine clearance of around thirty, that's when you want to uh, be really careful, probably avoid.
1: And that's similar with hydrocodone, oxycodone. It's just making sure you're ad- adjusting the doses with um, renal affected people and and coding is just one that's literally don't use it.
0: Clearly if I had somebody like that, I'd be talking to the nephrologist and say, Man, what do you want me to do with this? Because yeah, this is your thing. The kidneys are all yours. Did that make sense? You
1: can you can give one to them if you (laughs) wanted. I mean you can live with just one. Anyway, so the endocrine system, you know, we're talking about obesity here. There's a lot of people who have chronic pain with obesity, especially joint pain, knees, hips, backs. They can also have other pains like headaches, stomach pains.
0: It's really interesting that even if you look at just BMI increases, as as a BMI increases, there's a proportional increase in the incidence of pain being being described by those patients. So uh, people that get heavier, they tend to have more pain in general.
1: But it doesn't... This was a study way back. I mean, 2007 is like way back now. And they had a really hard time differentiating this association, whether it was opioid use and obesity, or whether they were directly tied because there's other comorbid issues with obesity that could then be comorbid with pain. And so that was a little bit of a thing. So kind of stay tuned, I guess.
0: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about some of the long-term effects if you're on opioids for a while. And this is stuff I find really interesting, uh, especially the immunologic uh uh, issues that we have with uh, these these meds.
1: Do we maybe want to like leave this for another podcast?
0: We could. Maybe we should. I don't know.
1: Because it's opposite. It's not things that are combined with opioids. It's things that opioids cause.
0: Yeah, then I think we do.
1: We do. I think we're at a good time and...
0: We'll stop We're with obesity. This. I think we should. And we we already did the bonus thing, so that was a whole extra thing for this week. So yeah, let's just.
1: I'm sick of listening to myself and you talk. Yeah, mostly. <laughs> you.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for listening, and we will let uh, Casey throw a little tune on here to end this one. Thanks so much.
2: ship is sinking neath the waves, it's sure you're headed down. How many of the rest of us will you decide to drown? Stop it